You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 295. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. So, did the founding fathers of the United States screw up the Senate? That's what we're talking about today with the release of my new research essay right here, Toward a Great Compromise, a Constitutional Plan to Promote Liberty, Renew Democracy, and Restore Federalism. I guess that, uh, that bottom line is a little bit of a, little bit of a mouthful, but I wanted to, wanted to get it all in there. Aaron, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. I was going to say, you've, you've, you've set the bar real low for what you want to achieve with this. What do you mean, real low? <laughs> that, that was sarcasm. <laughs> we're, we're, we're only going to renew Re- democracy and restore federalism. Right, and, and rewrite the Constitution. Look, the Constitution is only like, have, have you seen the size of the, the, those little pocket constitutions? They're tiny little books. So rewriting it is a lot easier than writing like a normal-sized book, I figure. <laughs> right? Well, there's, there's less room to hide things in there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this is episode 295. This is, it's, uh, it's 9-11, um, if you could believe it. Uh, and, uh, when this, when this episode comes out, I suppose it's, it's nine ten over here for the next hour and a half. Uh, I don't know if there's any significance to doing this episode on nine 11, but, uh, but here we are. Um, all I could have to say about that is to go back to our, to our nine 11 historical retro show. You remember our, our that one? Parter. Yep. Yeah, that was, I believe that was in 2021. Yeah, episodes 188 and 189. Got to write that down um, for the show notes page. Um, all right, so uh, we talked about this, and I kind of miss being on your porch listening to all the crickets um, talking <laughs> about, we, we really, for three episodes, hashed out um, these changes that I wanted to make to the Constitution and that was really valuable on the program, being able to kind of just hash out um, all of these issues. I don't know why I started writing this. I think I started writing this because actually I read an article uh, by Jeff Tucker on uh, the 17th Amendment and how, you know, maybe that's a problem. We should get rid of it. But I'd seen that before and I started looking into it. A lot of people said this. So then I started to do a little more research and I decided to go in a different direction. Um, and then also like, you know, politics is interesting. Game theory is interesting. Uh, you know, I have a certain flavor of it that's more like, oh, like social choice theory and trying to figure out electoral systems and trying to figure out, you know, the, the system, how all the moving pieces put together. Well, and, and, and that's certainly it, been a recurring topic on, on the show that we've exactly. visited multiple times. Exactly, exactly. So this is not meant to be some kind of like a, a, a political... Um, um, this is... Um, this is moving beyond political uh, rhetoric here and trying to actually come up with a solution. Now, some people say, well, what's the point of this? Because you, you can't actually, um, you know, uh, you can't actually implement it. But like, I don't know, look at what they're doing in what in Washington. Does, does, what percentage of people in Washington actually get to implement their ideas versus just <laughs> talking about it? You know, so, hey, this is a very <laughs> cheap way to be like, hey, um, Let's actually do the work. Let's do the research. And I looked at the Federalist Papers. I looked at James Madison's notes. I did a lot of research on history to support this. So now I've done a lot of the work where people who are looking at policies and creating new governments, even people creating new local governments or new um, 
corporations or whatever uh, can can come in and, and look at this research and hopefully benefit from it. So, okay. Um, and of course, the, the Convention of States folks. So, all right, let's, maybe I can review the, the main argument here, and then we could talk about some of the things that are new uh, in this paper that I found uh, since we did those episodes on the Constitution, which were, I believe, several months ago. That would have been, that would have started with episode, da, 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 episode 283, right? It, okay. it certainly feels like it was uh, a different era. It feels like it was a different era, but it really wasn't. It was this summer, and, and it's essentially still summer. So uh, I guess the beginning of the summer versus the end of the summer, but it feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, okay, so the the basic idea is that uh, the founding fathers actually screwed up the Senate. That's what you know. A, a lot of people uh, like, to say, particularly you know, conservatives perhaps like to say, "Well, the original ver- the original version of the Senate is that." Um, you know, uh, uh, the Senate was originally supposed to represent the states. And I did a little research we'll get to in a minute when I find out that's not quite true. Um, so, but then we have the 17th Amendment come along 100 years later, uh, more or less 100 years, in, uh, in 1912, 1913, I believe. And that said, okay, states are, uh, the Senate is no longer going to be cho- chosen by the state legislatures. They're just going to be elected by the people because, you know, the more democracy is better and more voting is more democratic. So there we go. That's going to save our democracy. And it, it, it maybe feels good aesthetically, but it, it's, it seems like it hasn't gotten what we wanted other than a top heavy federal government. And that that's what you want. That's fine. But the idea that it's made senators more accountable, uh, to the people, uh, there's no data to support that. That that has not happened. So, well, and, and I I think I may have raised this question when we were originally talking about it, but I can't remember where we where we landed on it. Uh, did it have that desired effect in the short term, and and we've just reached a, a kind of return to an equilibrium where they're no longer accountable, or did it? It didn't work in the beginning, and it's still not working now. Well, I mean, I, I was basing this off of a report uh, by the Brookings Institution, which is, you know, not which is kind of like a left-leaning um, think tank, yep. and um, they did a study on this on, on the hundred uh, in 2013 in the hundredth year of the ratification of the Seventeenth Amendment, and they found no difference uh, in, in any time. So, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't able to do a deep, deep dive into their methods and, and their, their, and the data they collected. But I kind of trust that, uh, that, that if there was something significant there, they would have uh, reported it. Cause I, I, I wonder if it's the type of thing where, uh, inevitably, uh, a system like this, a system of, of representing competing interests, uh, will trend towards becoming, uh, corrupted or uh, maybe corrupted is too strong a word, but, but uh, being 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 captured uh, in one way or another by uh, vested interests that are not the electorate at large, um, but that it takes maybe fifty years or a hundred years for that to happen, and so every hundred years we need to do something to shake up the structure of our our represent, you know, representative democracy. Um, that's cer- I, that's possibly true. I, yeah, it, it's, it's very speculative to say that. I have I have nothing to back that up, but it's it's kind of an appealing idea, especially since we're talking about you know it's been about a hundred years, uh, well, a little more than that, and and we're due. 
Well, well, this is kind of what I wrote, and so this is how I put it, and it, it's sort of similar to what you said, and, and you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, th- this is just kind of my mental model of it, and we can talk about whether, whether that's true or not, but I, now, that, that, now that you say that, I wrote, you know, uh, I wrote that, uh, um, you know, the inevitable contradictions in any such structure, that's the Constitution, uh, tend to become more pronounced over time, and at certain points, these contradictions must be resolved one way or another. Uh, so essentially, you know, whenever you write something like this, it's, it's not a mathematical equation. It's, it's human beings. It's, you know, human systems. They're imperfect. There's contradictions in it. And then whatever contradictions or holes in it that can be exploited, those get expanded over time. And so things do tend to, tend to wind down. I think that, that's similar to what you're saying. Yeah, well, I, the 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 follow-on thought that I that I had was if if we have if if we were able to conclude that there is this kind of pattern of of backsliding that that has required a a uh, realignment every century plus or so. Um, let's assume for a moment that we are given the the carte blanche to to implement changes now. Uh, would we structure it? differently with that knowledge such that that we won't need to revise it in 120 years or or with the the acknowledgement that yeah uh, you know the next next fourth turning you're probably going to have to revisit this and and come up with a, another patch and that's that's a problem for a future generation well i think that's uh, you know I, I think that's the idea uh behind representative uh, a, rep- a representative republic and, and uh, mixed government to begin with. That's why, you know, th- you know, it, it, the ancients, you know, like Plato and Aristotle saw like, oh, okay, you have pure democracy and then you have like a pure tyranny and they always turn into each other and then you have this regime and that regime and it's hard to keep up. And so the idea of having the republic is to kind of moderate that 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 sort of switching back and forth between between all of these um revolutions by having essentially <laughs> elections and and permanent revolution uh so i i think um i think yes the the idea is that you want to structure it so that it is uh resilient and honestly i think the founders did a very good job in it it's uh, of doing that it's just we could still find some problems in what they did. Obviously, I mean, as I point out in the beginning, the the major problem that looks um, like laughably obvious if it wasn't such a human tragedy is like, oh, we're going to have slaves and we're also going to proclaim a natural God-given rights, individual rights society. Uh, Those two don't seem to go too well together. (laughs) And so you you ended up with, um, yep, led to the Civil War. I mean, you know, I think if they said we're going to do gradual emancipation uh, from the beginning, uh, things would have worked out way better. Mm. Um, if that, for some reason, I guess that wasn't politically possible. I don't understand why they couldn't have done it in a way where it's like, okay, all of this will fully play out once we're all dead, but they did, just didn't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a hard sell, even, even if you set the, uh, yeah, the, even if you the pay horizon them. out far enough. Yeah. Um, so, 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 uh, I guess a, a piece of that is they, they were able to do that with the slave trade. By the way, they successfully, right, yeah, right. but they were not able to do that with slavery itself. P- possibly only because there were sufficient uh, loopholes or workarounds or or uh, or were there uh, concessions that were made. 
I mean, yes, the 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 uh, international slave trade was was no longer officially permitted, uh, but there were certainly people being smuggled in, and and there was also the uh, you know the at, at that point domestic supply uh, was mm. sufficient that that it was not ne- necessarily uh, international trade required to sustain it. So uh, if it certainly would have been a harder sell to, to put a, a, a cap on that right at the beginning. Right. Right. But uh, so, so I mean, I guess one of the pieces that, that uh, you know, there's certainly a, a intention from the founders that uh, there should be these mechanisms to make adjustments. So, so there was an expectation that, that there would need to be tweaks along the way. Um, I was curious when the most recent uh, amendment was, uh, was ratified. And that's, that's the 27th amendment that has to do with uh, congressional salaries um, that was back in 1992. Yeah, but uh, that which, which that was, did which very That's surprising uh, that 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 we've had one you know about that long ago. What was surprising when I went and looked at it is uh, how long be, there that amendment went between when it was uh, initially proposed and when it was ratified. Uh, do, right. do you want to take a stab at when that was initially proposed? I, I think that was proposed with the Bill of Rights. It, it was, in fact, it took two two hundred and two years and two hundred and twenty three days. From its proposal yeah. to when it was ratified, which and that's is mind-boggling. Why, yeah, and that's why I kind of think of that one is sort of a, an amendment that doesn't really count. Uh, that was kind of like, oh, it's a good idea to say, you know, salary increases shouldn't take uh, effect until the next Congress. Um, it doesn't really affect how we govern that much, even though it's just like, you know, it's like, oh, look, this yeah, was already it's, proposed. It's already out there. So state legislatures were like, hey— we have some free cycles. Let's uh, let's do this. Not, you know? not having that was a bad look, but yeah, agreed that it didn't it didn't dramatically. Yeah, it certainly didn't change things like the way that the Seventeenth Amendment did. Right, right. So the, the last real one was 1971, uh, which yeah. lowered the voting age to 18 um, in the wake of the Vietnam War. So that um, yeah, it's it's been quite a while. It's over 50 years. Um, yeah, and structurally, very little has structurally changed. Um, you know, for for a long time. I mean, almost none of this now, structurally now, changed. Interp- interpretations of the structure have changed. Uh, I mean, the the uh, or or at least the prominence of certain interpretations. So you know, the the growth of executive power or executive agencies that has certainly evolved dramatically in the last century. But none yes. of that has required constitutional amendments to take form. Well, arguably, the Seventeenth Amendment, which got rid of the state legislatures um, choosing their uh, senators, uh, you know, created a more top-heavy federal structure. So mm. that that was certainly a, a tremendous structural change. Um, I make some arguments as to why we shouldn't go back to the old system directly; instead, move forward to to something new. But um, I, I would say that's a that 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 is one of the structural changes that led to the further furtherance of the other structural changes. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so one of the things you mentioned uh, in in the lead in was was talking about uh, the the 17th Amendment and uh, the the uh, maybe mis misunderstanding or misinterpretation that many uh, conservative uh, advocates have that the, p- the purpose of the Senate was to represent the states. And you you, you yeah. alluded that it was, it's a little more complicated than that. So maybe you right. can cl- clarify on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let me, um, the problem is the Senate had a dual uh, purpose. So let me actually just read from the paper here, page four of the Senate. 
Uh, convention delegates like James Madison and Alexander Hamilton originally viewed the Senate as a long-term, more professional upper house. Madison came to the convention thinking senators would be appointed by the House of Representatives, and Hamilton wanted them to serve for life. So that's crazy. Hamilton, I think he wanted the president to appoint the senators, and they just like stay there forever. Kind of like yeah, a well, permanent. Yeah. And, and he was also in favor of, uh, at least I think at some point, uh, a, a executive with a lifelong term, was he not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe yeah, so. so. He, he certainly carried over many, many ideas from, uh, from our, our time as a British colony. Yeah. Uh, well, they all did. And, and Madison was, was thinking, okay, maybe he was more democratic about it. He was like, okay, well, maybe the House will pick them. And this is the problem because, so, you know, let, let's not bury the lead here. I'm breaking the Senate into two, two institutions, a new Senate and an executive council, which we'll, um, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is a board of directors for the, for the government. Um, but essentially, uh, uh, the, uh, originally, um, when I proposed this to you, I thought that the uh, executive council would be chosen by the Senate. And then I realized, no, James Madison wanted the Senate to be chosen by the House. And he was convinced from the delegation, from the uh, Constitutional Convention, that's a bad idea. It just completely breaks the independence of the two different sides of two different sides of the coin. You don't want one side of the coin, uh, um, you know, appointing the other side of the coin. Uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. So when they came in, they were thinking House of Lords. They weren't thinking protector of federalism. Now, right. that was different when they came out of the convention and the thing was ratified, which I think is kind of more important when you say originally. But uh, so what happened? They came in with this John Dickinson of Pennsylvania. He was the he was a real um, you know, he, he really wanted a House of Lords. And he's like, you know how we're going to have the best uh, uh, Lordish type people is if the if is if the uh, if the uh, if the state legislatures pick them. Uh, so so he said that and ultimately people agreed with him. And then people started saying, oh, yeah, you know what? That also gives the states some agency in the in the federal government, too. Okay, okay, so now we have a dual purpose. And so I think they have this quote from um, Madison in Federalist 62. He said, it is recommended by the double advantage of favoring a select appointment and a select appointment, like, oh, yeah, we're going to have the, uh, we're going to have the elites, and of giving the state governments such an agency in the formation of the federal government as much secure as must secure the authority of the former and may form a convenient link between the two systems. Okay. That's a mouthful, this, this 18th century language. Although they had to write this all in like quill pen. So, you know, they didn't have time <laughs> to like, you know, go through all the edits that I can do online very, very quickly. Um, but uh, basically, he's saying, and, and that's what people say now. Yeah, it's supposed to be like the more professional upper house, and it's supposed to represent the states. So they gave it two different purposes, um, and that was kind of a problem. And it was sort of like, and it's supposed to represent the people. So when the 17th Amendment came in, because the Senate wasn't focused on one purpose, it wasn't obvious, you know, how to, uh, and, and people wanted, people were asking for it to be uh, 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 elected. Uh, by the people of the state uh, for, for a long time at that point. Uh, there was no like focal point or what I call a shelling point. Like there's no like obvious mission that everyone agrees on hmm. that, um, you know, that, that, that can sort of say, okay, well, how should the Senate work? Well, we refer to its mission and then that gives us the answer. Uh, but, but we didn't have that because it was given a, it was given a dual mission that I think, kind of contradicts each other. 
because if you appoint a senator for six years, um, how are they going to represent their state? You gave away the keys to the kingdom. They're there for six years. Uh, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing your state can do after that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a problem. Um, and so in the new Senate that I've, that I've outlined, um, it's no longer that the state legislatures have to pick the senator, but it's more like, okay, the state law gets to tell you how that state picks the picks the senator. So it could be the legislature, or they could pass a law to do something else. Usually state legislatures don't really want to do it because then it's like, okay, I'm running for state legislature. I have all these state issues, but all the people care about who are voting for me is like, who are you voting for for senator? And so they don't want that. So maybe they might do something like, okay, maybe um, maybe we might have some internal electoral college or or something to pick our senators, but then you know the the state much, legislature has oversight over them. Much much like Congress does not actually want to pass a, uh, a declaration of war, uh, right? They, they the uh, the state legislatures don't particularly want to be held responsible for the appointment of uh, of senators to the the federal government. Right, right. And so w- w- what I concluded is that's fine. You guys go pass a law um, telling us how to represent your state best. You can give them any term length you want. I actually think I put a provision in there that the federal government could set some kind of maximum so they can't say like, oh, once we, once we tell someone they're in, they're in for 20 years. But, you know, there, there's, um, they can set any law they want as to how they're represented in the Senate and, uh, and, and they pay them. You know, they're paid by the state, not by the federal government. Uh, Madison wanted the federal government to pay them because uh, it was like, well, if the state government pays them, then, you know, the state government could take their money away. And they're they are they're influencing my House of Lords in ways that they shouldn't, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So uh, um, so it's like, okay, so um, but but now they're they're not that. So we 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 take that away. Um, So that's. That's sort of what we're doing with the Senate here. So, um, so quick question on that, and, yeah. and maybe this is just the wrong way to be thinking about it. But um, setting for aside it. for a moment the fact that we're going from from each state having a single senator, or, excuse or me, two. each state having two senators to having a single one. Um, so obviously, there's going to be 50 senators who are a little bit uh, pissed that they're out of a seat. Uh, <laughs> but, but but let's ignore <laughs> them for a moment. Um, yeah. Oh, what, although there is there is a thing, and I took your suggestion where they could send a full delegation of however many people they want. There's just some order of succession of who can vote, and you know that kind of thing. Right, and and that's on the state's dime since they're paying them now. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, since since we are scaling back, we are we are reducing the uh, mission statement, the responsibility of the Senate. Uh, how how do we convince the Senate? to buy in to this, this basically chopping off a piece of their power and giving it to someone else? Or is the answer there that, well, actually, the, the Senate doesn't get to decide on this. The states decide on this. And this is giving the states more control over the Senate. Right. So in the constitutional amendment process, particularly if you do like an Article, article 5 convention, that means that the states, state governments are in control. So we just have to convince the um, the state governments and hopefully – um, you know, this, this compromise is a bunch of stuff in it that we're not going to be, um, you know, we're not going to get all into it today, but hopefully we can convince people on both the left and the right, uh, that, that this is a good idea. So you can have like a broad spectrum of the American public, still a very, very high bar, but you wouldn't convince the Senate. 
Um, now, <laughs> that whole uh, reduce it to one senator thing, that might be something that has to be dropped in order to get this passed. <laughs> I would be shocked. Uh, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't end the, it wouldn't defeat the purpose. It's just, well, sometimes I had to make the decision. It's like, do I want to put how I think it should be work, uh, uh, work, or do I want to put what I think will come out of the process of the political process when this is churned through the political process? And I don't know, sometimes I chose one, sometimes I chose the other. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a, a question to be asked, and I think we may have talked about this uh, in our in our previous episodes. You know, wh- why do we even have two? Um, and and I think simplifying down to one makes sense. Uh, right. But yeah, it might be a hard sell. Um, it's, yeah. it's always fascinating. A, l- a lot when, of this would be. <laughs> it's it's always fascinating when there's a redistricting, and you know, a state has one less district, or even if the number of districts don't change, but all of a sudden, you know. Two uh, two representatives are now in the same district, and so they have to. Yeah. Keep, what, what when they previously thought that they were incumbents, uh, now now they're actually competing for their seat. Uh, oh that, yeah, that's always fun to watch with a little bit of Schadenfreude. Yeah, so it's a little, seeing musical. this happen to like all of the senators at once uh, would be fascinating. All, although chairs. the mechanism for how they would be elected or appointed would not necessarily be uniform and simultaneous under this new system anyway. Uh, yeah, correct. Correct. I mean, it could be, a, they could do something where they have, you know, two senators that kind of switch off every few months. I mean, they're, you know, that it's up to the state. The state can do it however they want. So there, there, yeah, there's well, and, that. And there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the Senate in terms of, you know, like committee assignments and chairmen's and stuff that, that, but, but that's all, there's, there's no law about that. That's all done by, by, you know, Senate and House policy currently. And so that could certainly be adapted. Uh, there would probably be some growing pains there, but oh, absolutely! Uh, I, I have faith that they'll find a solution. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, we're getting rid of half the Senate because we're making room for this new Executive Council, which uh, right. is uh, is really important. So, um, the the problem is that the founders gave the Senate a lot of executive authority, which is weird. Why are they giving something that's in the legislative branch an exec- executive authority? I guess they kind of said, well, you know, the the president needs some oversight. Um, we have this thing here called the Senate that is smaller than the House of Representatives, so it seems like a good place to put it. But now, now when you say executive authority, are you talking about the uh, the the need for them to uh, a- approve presidential appointments? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, exactly. More beyond that, uh, presidential appointments. Yeah. Now they have some others that I kept, like um, I kept the right uh, to approve treaties. Um, because I read as we'll get into George Mason in a bit, George Mason said, you know, that that's more of a legislative, uh, function. So it's good to have them do that. And then, uh, secondly, I had them keep their approval of Supreme court nominations. Although now I have the, uh, executive council, uh, choosing the Supreme court nominees. So Mm. that's, uh, um, that's a little different, but yes, uh, the whole, I, so part of the problem with the administrative state right now is that, okay. You have this, I don't even want to, you know, I, I think we need to kind of jump ahead to this. Uh, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit uh, in the uh, in terms of the administrative state, but it's like, okay, we have all these agencies in government. They're technically in the, um, you know, in the executive branch, or not technically, they are, although some of them are more like independent than others. Um, maybe the but, president- But they fall under executive branch authority per-, per- yeah. But the president, the president doesn't have uh, actual authority over them. And like, okay, so now you have 
uh, all, most of them are run by commissions with commissioners. And these commissioners are usually nominated by the president. Um, you know, the president may or may not personally be involved in all of those nominations. Uh, and then it goes to the Senate for approval. And then those commissioners stay for a few years because that's the, um, you know, that's the length of the term. And then underneath those commissioners is a permanent bureaucracy. So it's like, where is, where is the say? Where, where, like, how much is the actual republic having a say in terms of this policy? Because these um, administrative agencies are creating what's called administrative law, which are basically laws without laws. They're, they're sort of like um, policies that are written uh, by the executive branch and also unwritten policies like who are we going to go after and, and when are we going to look the other way, um, you know, when it comes to enforcement. Um, and so they have these kind of this kind of weird split um you know, split uh, uh, accountability to both the president and the Senate. And, and it's also very weird. Like what, let's say the Senator from like, I don't know, Ohio is picking the, um, the commissioner for the uh, FCC. Like what does his representing of Ohio have to do with that? And so that's also a little bit strange. Um, and also it's, it's not a legislative function. So that's, that, that's also a little bit strange as well. So, right. Well, I, I assume that, that at least the majority of, of these, uh, executive branch agencies, uh, came into being by virtue of a legislative act. And, and that's, that's how they're kind right. of deriving that power. Um, right. They, they, Almost uh, outsourced some legislative functions to the right. They, they say, "Oh, we we need an environmental protection agency, and we don't know what all the rules they need to enforce are, but they should fall, you know, within these bounds." And then you guys can go fill in fill in the details. And right. and in theory, that that's that's well and good. But you know, fifty years down the line, uh, it, it's very possible for that to go a little bit off the rails. Yeah, and well, several reasons. I mean, you have uh, regulatory capture. Where the biggest, um, you know, companies in that space are often the regulators for that space, um, yeah. And then you just have um, just administrative bureaucratic capture. Like those people are there for a long time. They get to basically ignore the political appointees, and uh, they run their own fiefdoms and kind of have this yeah, well, power. And, and I know we've talked about the spoil system before and how how this was essentially a a cure to that, um, but. But again, uh, it has developed its own uh, its own uh, diseases uh, within it that 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 need to be somehow rectified. Right, 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 right. So, all right, let's see. I mean, I, I do want to go through. Uh, let's talk about George Mason before we get in, before we go more into this because one of the things that I found since our last discussion is that George Mason. He was one of the delegates at the Constitutional Convention, right? He, he wasn't, um, unfortunately, he died before, like, I think early in George Washington's term. So he didn't really have much of a say uh, in the actual running of the federal government uh, at, when it was going on, when, when all the precedents were being set. But he was there. He, he was there at the Constitutional Convention. And from the notes from, I've read from Madison's notes and I read from George Mason um, some of his essays on his own. He was basically there saying, you guys are screwing it up, you know, the whole time this has happened. So first of all, he comes in and he's like, bad idea having a president. 
bad idea. And and they're like, well, why, why is that a bad idea? He's like, because we're going to turn into a monarchy. You remember we just uh, fought against a monarchy? You know, uh, uh, you, don't want, you don't want a monarchy. And then I think the people said, oh, we kind of need a president. And so why is that? Probably uh, the 1780s were um, were kind of nuts in the States. And I think people realized we need some kind of, like most organizations have a chief executive and, um, and, and we should probably have a chief, chief executive. So, all right, he, he lost that argument. So then, then he comes back and he's like, look, you need to have a, a council for the president. You need to have like some kind of what I would call today a board of directors uh, to get this to work. So he didn't. He was actually going the council slash board of directors route. He was not going the uh, the House of Lords route, which is a lot more modern, actually. I think because now we're like so. House so he was proposing this, this instead of a Senate, not in addition to. No, no. Uh, he 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 was all for the Senate, but he said, look. If the president doesn't have a council, who's going to be leading the president? He's like, well, there's a few choices. He's like, it could be the Senate. Uh, that would be bad because we don't want the Senate. We don't want the legislative branch running the executive branch. Or, and also, it could also be the, the great departments, <laughs> what ended up becoming the cabinet and what today ended up becoming the administrative state or the deep state when it's like, yeah, the, the government is going to end up controlling the president without this. And Wow, he was he was really uh, he was really dead on there. I mean, I could read the quote. This is a great quote. Uh, the president. This is this is Mason. The president of the United States has no constitutional council, a thing unknown in any safe and regular government. He will therefore be unsupported by proper information and advice, and will generally be directed by minions and favorites, or he will become a tool of the Senate. Or a council of state will grow out of the principal officers of the great departments, the worst and most dangerous of all ingredients for such a council in a free country. From this fatal defect has arisen the improper power of the Senate in the appointment of public officers and the alarming dependence and connection between that branch of the legislature and the supreme executive. So there it is. This is, he called this all out as they were drafting it up. So <laughs> I, I, when I, I read that, I was like, wow, that's, uh, there it is. That, that's pretty impressive. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you have what you think of that, but I thought that was dead on. Well, it's it. I I'm interested in the idea that that this this uh, what what he refers to in some cases is as a privy council. Mm -hmm. um, it's 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 almost like and, and you hear about this in the British government sometimes. Well, they they have you know a minister of this and a minister of that, but then they 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 have some uh, minister without portfolio who's kind mm -hmm. of you know there to advise in general and doesn't they are not necessarily the head of a department or uh, or or have a specific assigned role and that that seems at first glance perhaps uh, extraneous, but I think there's huge value in that um, that that they're free to to. Well, you know, not speak the interests of the department itself, but but to actually provide their unvarnished counsel. Right, right, and and in in this proposal, uh, these counselors are chosen by the states, and they're chosen one at a time. Uh, and uh, instead of six years, I increased it to seven years, so that way there's an election every fourteen months, and I do that to uh, um, cycle through the different seasons and political seasons and, and natural seasons, just so that. You know, you get kind of the pulse of the nation at very different time periods uh, to try to um, 
you know, to, to try to suss that. And, and the fact that you can pick them one at a time means every election, every electoral cycle for these things, um, it's going to be like, okay, we're going to focus on what is the council missing right now? Mm. Um, and so uh, I, I think that would be a good way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's certainly a risk that, that people will uh, evolve into having specified roles, even if it's not a formal specification, but oh but yeah, that's fine. This mechanism that, does allow for some self correction there, right? Right, and th- that's fine if it's like you know, if we're a council of six people, it could be like, okay, I want you're going to look into these issues, and I'm going to look into those issues, and we agree, that's fine. But six people is a lot different than dealing with advice and consent from the Senate because right. you know, uh, with the Senate, the because yeah, that's the, that's a hundred people, and uh, it's really a, a few hundred because they've got all their chiefs of staff, and uh, yeah, it, it becomes a, a whole with whole six people. Circus. The, the president can walk in and say, "Hey, folks, uh, what do you think about this?" Yeah, he <laughs> can't really do that with the Senate. Uh, he could call the Senate majority leader and the minority leader and, you know, ash things out there. But then it's just like, oh, okay. So uh, essentially just the, the, the kind of the power players in the Senate. Well, is- and, and this hadn't occurred to me until just now, but I assume that also that the executive council would, uh, would be protected by uh, what's the term executive privilege. Um, so uh, the, the president can't go to the Senate and have a off the record conversation with them. I mean, mm-hmm. he might be able to have an off-the-record conversation with the majority leader, uh, but uh, th- there's 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 little or no guarantee that that the majority leader is not going to turn around and and use that information. Uh, whereas uh, the 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 idea of of the president and his counselors being able to have you know a a frank discussion, weighing options, and not be worried about is this going to end up in the Washington Post or you know, the Wall Street Journal or New York Times tomorrow morning uh, and and cause us headaches uh, is of huge value. They're, they're much more likely to be able to do that. Yeah. And the electoral system, which is the Condorcet method, which we could do a whole show on, um, <laughs> is hopefully going to pick for, for more independent candidates. So that's kind of exciting. So uh, I, I spoke one person I spoke to uh, while doing this, I put that in the um, in the acknowledgement sections is my cousin, uh, Jordan, Jordan Marks from, uh, you know, I worked on his campaign for a uh, tax assessor in California last year. He won very, very close election, like 52-48. So I was, I was literally sitting there sending out texts. We had this program <laughs> where there was some law where you had to press the button to send out each text so it could be boom, boom, boom. And I was sending out texts. I was calling people uh, all day. So that was exciting to work on. It was exciting to see him win. And uh, that job of tax assessor is a, is a real job. It's it's not uh, it's not a political uh, put your feet up uh, uh, job. Yeah, um, not not just a sinecure. No, yeah, yeah. So, so, but but you know, I, I talked to him about this, and he said, "Look, sometimes when you have a, a board or a commission, it doesn't do uh, it, it doesn't do any good. So you have to have some R." So I was like, "Okay, I need to have some argument why this would do better." And I, and I wrote this here. He also, by the way, mentioned I didn't put this in the paper. The California Board of Estimate, um, and he, I, I didn't get too much. Uh, I, I believe his position on that was that um, you know it's that board was keeping the state uh, fiscally responsible, and that's why they're getting rid of it. Uh, so, but uh, <laughs> I could be wrong. So, sorry, George, if I misrepresented your, your your position there. But uh, um, but that, that's uh, that's um, that's one 
one possible way of going. I feel like some of these, some boards are bad. Uh, the, the New York City Board of Estimate, which was gotten rid of in 1989, they got rid of it because Staten Island had the same vote as Brooklyn, and that was like malapportionment. I don't think that was the reason why it was bad. It was bad because it was like, okay, it was a bunch of people who were elected for other positions that were un- somewhat unrelated, put together on a board, and they got to decide who can build a building, who can get a permit for this and that, and it was it was just political favor trading. And mm-hmm. so you, you don't want that. You want people elected specifically for that thing. Um, and you, you don't want them to be in the business of political favor trading, which I think having those long terms kind of prevents that. Um, you know, uh, political favor in terms of, I mean, I don't know if the Supreme Court does things like, well, why don't you vote with me on this issue and I'll vote with you on that issue? I, that doesn't necessarily bother me as much. Uh, as like, if they were saying like, oh, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll change the, uh, I'll change the votes for donations, you know, I'll, I'll change my ruling for donation. That would be bad. Um, yeah. so, uh, so, uh, 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 yeah, I think, I think the former would happen on the council where they kind of trade. Okay. I want to do this. You want to do that. Let's compromise. That's fine. But they wouldn't be like, oh, I need, I need campaign donations now. How, what's the, how's this going to affect this? Maybe there'll be a little bit of that, but that's sort of what the, the that system is supposed to uh, prevent. Um, so, okay, so here's my argument for why it would be better. Uh, first of all, I have this interesting clause in it that I'll read uh, in the actual constitutional uh, text that I wrote in my new constitution. That's in, that's in, uh, that's indented and in uh, italicized. Uh, it's written. Executive counselors are subject to the federal impeachment process. Fine, I had to put that in there. Um, they shall be well compensated as set out by law, which may include financial promises and derivatives thereof to reward fiscal and economic success as defined by Congress. So what is that? That's like the equivalent of stock options. Um, so Congress can say, okay, you know, we want, uh, we, we want you to be rewarded for Whatever the, the value of the dollar or the rating of our um, uh, uh, our bond rating or whatever those kinds of things, and somehow structure the compensation based on the the um, metrics of the health of society and, and the, or the health of the government and, and the health of uh, health, health of the country essentially. So I wrote below uh, this executive compensation package might seem strange at first, but it will ensure a strong pool of talent from many sectors of public and private life for any council election. This talent pool will lead to better fiscal management. Furthermore, the bonus structure playing a similar role to stock options in the private sector could be used to provide additional incentives. One might argue that the decisions by the executive council would be just as bad as the permanent bureaucracy that we have today. This is unlikely because of the incentive structure of the council, their position within the government, and their manner of election. In addition to their reward structure, counselors are not uh, beholden to any one department or party. Uh, the council would attract a variety of professions and expertise in its membership. Any deficiency or blind spot would become a point of discussion for the next council election. As a focused group of long-term strategic thinkers, they are more likely to take historical lessons seriously. And then, of course, I end with that whole... Uh, don't expect uh, too much. Ultimately, the council's <laughs> success should not be measured against some utopia, but in comparison to the current administrative regime. Obviously, we're talking about government here. Still, we're not talking about, uh, you know, <laughs> anything else. <laughs> so, so 
while you were reading that, something something occurred to me, uh, a, a hypothetical. So let's let's assume for a moment that, uh, well, I, I, I guess the, the manner in which the council is elected would somewhat counterbalance this. But I was going to say that if we're coming off of, uh, you know, eight years of, uh, let's say, Republican administration. Right. Um, one would assume that, that would mean that the council would have a heavy Republican lean, but I guess that's not necessarily the case because the council is is not appointed by the same mechanism. Um, so my no. my concern was going to be that okay, now in year one of of the new, let's say, a new Democratic president comes in, uh, they're going to have a council that is is likely to be majority uh, opposed to them, and so that the the council may spend much of its time, you know, blocking them or undoing their work. But it, I, I think that that's supposing uh, a scenario that's that's not particularly likely to arise given how the council is is formulated yeah it's also it, it's not um first of all I, I don't think that's true that after eight years of one party uh so historically the midterms have gone to the other party right uh so perhaps the council would would do the same we don't know um but the, the and, and that's the, assuming a a level of partisanship that that is not necessarily baked into the council yeah all and, and also like you know today's um uh today's political environment won't won't be around forever things will be very yeah. different but the whole you know uh midterm uh election where the other party uh does does well has held uh pretty you know not not all the time throughout our history but but many times it, it's certainly um, the exception that a president gains right. in their midterm right right so i think actually you might have some counselors who are opposed somewhat to the president uh i mean you know think about um yeah think about like during obama's term you'd have a lot of republicans in there and then during trump's term you'd probably have a lot of uh democrats elected to the council um now they wouldn't be I, I don't think, given the way they're elected, you wouldn't get very highly ideological type people in there. But, uh, but, but I, I do suspect they would they would kind of lean the other way. Uh, and so the new president coming in might actually have have more power. Um, having a council, I, so the council does have some power to override the president, but it has to be like five out of the six. So mm -hmm. that's that's very unlikely to happen. I think. I, it could happen uh, occasionally. It's like it, it, it's only like you know to have some kind of moderating effect because I'm I'm assuming that if you have five or six counselors agree, it's not a it's not a crazy position. Yeah. So there there is, uh, and and I I don't know if we talked about this in on the episode or if it was in our our pre show discussion here, but this this ability for the council to uh, to alter or nullify administrative policy. Right. Um, yeah. So. So that that would would be significant grounds for uh, uh, I, I don't like to term them as a, a rogue council, but let's let's assume for the sake of argument that you had a council that was uh, unified in their opposition to the president. Uh, they they could do quite a bit with that uh, that lever of power. However, one right. has to assume that if uh, on the the seven person council, uh, one of which is the president, so of the remaining six, uh, they need a supermajority. Uh, a supermajority is five out of the seven. Yeah. So, so if 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 five uh, of of the six non-president counselors are in favor of of a particular action, uh, then one would think that they have the, uh, the 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 pulse of the nation in 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 mind and uh, 
and, and would be representing those interests. Right. And, and note they can't override everything that the president does. Like, you know, the president is still has way more power than them because the president is still, you know, commander in chief of the military right. and you know, a lot of, okay. But why don't I just read through all of the powers of the executive council? Cause they're actually kind of interesting what I've settled on. Obviously, if this were actually to go through the process of being at a article five convention, people would mangle it to no end, but let's, <laughs> let's see what I came up with here. One, uh, the Executive Council shall inherit from the previously constituted Senate the role of providing advice and consent to presidential appointments. So now, basically, instead of having to go to the Senate, uh, for most things, the president can just go to the council. Okay, great. Seems a lot easier. Seems like you're going to get better advice. These people have been around a long time. That's their whole job. You know, they don't have to worry about uh, re-election. They don't have to worry about their party. Okay, two. The executive council can have the, shall have the power to nominate justices of the Supreme Court, as well as ambassadors and other public ministers, subject to the advice and consent of the Senate. Okay. It always, it, we're used to having the president select Supreme Court uh, uh, justices. That seems kind of weird to have the person playing the game. Uh, appointing the referees. It kind of feels like having, you know, the, the previous champions of the NBA, uh, you know, uh, uh, appointing the new referees for the ones who uh, have, uh, uh, have retired that year, uh, the championship team appointed. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to screw it up, but like, it, it's just a weird choice. Um, and this council seems better. W why is the guy who's running, uh, who's like running the military and representing America around the world and doing all that, all the executive administrative stuff? Why is that the same person who, who's choosing the, the Supreme Court nominee, nominees? It doesn't make so, sense. So in these first two items, we've taken something off the plate of the Senate and something off the plate of the president and yes. given them both to the council. And taking something off the president's plate is is a little bit more nuanced because the president is also a member of the council, uh, but right. and 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 what one would assume the chairperson of the council. Um, yeah, know, I don't know. But, it doesn't have to be. But but they it's it's not that what they say goes. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, the next one I actually just copied from the New Hampshire Constitution, which is great because New Hampshire Constitution has an executive council. Um, not, it's not like we made this up through, through whole cloth. There's other governments. Switzerland has one. Um, no gov no money shall be issued out of the treasury, except as may be appropriate for the redemption of bills of credit. Treasury knows blah, blah, blah. Basically, if you owe something, you got to pay it. Um, but by the president with advice and consent from the council that this disbursement is consistent with article one, section nine pertaining, pertaining to treasury disbursements. So basically the constitution says, uh, if you're going to, give out money from the treasury it has to be for these reasons. So they have the right to review that, that it's, that it's in accordance to the constitution. Okay, great. Um, with a majority, the council may recommend the repeal of legislation signed into law, no less than six years prior with such a recommendation. Both houses of Congress have 90 days to confirm the legislation with a majority vote or the repeal is effective. So that's an interesting one. So they can, basically focus on repealing the cruft of old laws that um, are no longer necessary. So, um, so in this, this no less than six years prior, it essentially means that uh, nothing that, that, that was passed during the current council's term. So I was thinking about that. I mean, there's seven years, so uh, maybe there's okay. like, but um, yeah, I just used six years because it seemed like, okay, 
that's our Senate term now. That seems reasonable. I mean, it might be longer than that. People might say, no, we want 20 years because we want things that were passed in the previous generation or, you know, something longer than that. Um, but, um, that was just sort of my one idea that that's one number in there. That is actually one of the few numbers in there where I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what to set that number at. But, but the idea is that, that this gives it, uh, it gives, it gives the, the legislation at least a few years to, to, prove out that it's effective or, or useful or not. Uh, yeah. And, and if it's proving that it isn't, then they can come in and, and purge it. Yeah. I would suspect they, they wouldn't use this power very much except for things that are like, nobody really likes this law, but nobody wants to do the work to repeal it. So we'll just repeal it. Uh, at least that's what I would hope. I don't know. I, I, what do you guys think out there? <laughs> Localmaxradio gmail.com. I, I think I'm going to get a lot of people weighing in on this. Um, yeah, okay. Let, let us know what your, uh, your, your first choice law for, uh, for repeal for, would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. The next one is the council attain. Okay. Now we're talking about supermajorities. The council attains a supermajority if at least you know, five of the seven are voting. Um, with a supermajority, the council may reduce the amount of any appropriation made by law so long as the disbursements from that appropriation are under their power of review by law. Okay, so that sounds like it's written by a lawyer. It was written by me. It was written by a coder uh, because it was like, okay, this is actually a big deal because this is, uh, this is a line item veto. This is like something that was passed by Congress to spend on. They're just saying, no, we're not going to do it. And so that kind of, if they just had the power to do that whenever they wanted with a majority, that would like severely limit the ability of Congress to um, pass budgets, which um, may or may not be a good thing, but I didn't want to think too hard about it. So I said, okay, if they could do it under a supermajority, then... um, you know, then, then it, it would only be in extreme circumstances that they could do it. And that little ex- exception at the end is like, you know, okay, if, uh, if, if the government, like they can't stop interest payments and things like that, uh, and like bond payments, cause that would just be, that would just be absurd, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, no, these are, these are new appropriations being passed essentially. So when, Congress passes a law and then it's subject to to potentially this review. Or, no, or is there no? It's already in law at this point. Okay. Yeah, it's already in law at this point. This is after the fact. This is not like a veto. Uh, no, it's already been passed. The, the, so, so theoretically, they could come along and and let's say the uh, was it the ACA um, and you know five five six years after it's passed, they could come along and say, uh, actually, we're going to reduce the. Uh, Degree that X Y Z is covered uh, under this law because because we believe that it is uh, inappropriate. Uh, yeah, and and, and descope that. Yeah, yeah. So when you're Assuming electing, they have the supermajority. Yeah. So when you're electing these people, um, you want to elect people who are going to think hard about that. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but at that, uh, yeah, at that point, you know that. <laughs> at that point, it's like, which political process do you trust more? I mean. It, it, it's it's good to have that bounce that bounce of power. Okay. Secondly, with a supermajority, the council may declare any legislation unconstitutional, and shall include their reasoning in any such declarations. This is after its law. Uh, the legislation is immediately null and void. However, any member of Congress has standing to challenge this reasoning in the Supreme Court, which has the authority to evaluate and overrule the decision. So, essentially, they get to uh, say. If something is unconstitutional, they get to they get a shortcut to the Supreme Court to mm. get them to review it, 
Which, so this uh, this removes the need for standing and going through multiple layers of the appellate court and and whatnot that that under the current system would normally be required. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and I think you see the 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 benefits of that. And then the final thing, this is the one to fight the administrative state, which um, well, yeah, I should be, be, before you, yeah. you you go to that. So if they declare something uh, unconstitutional. Yeah, and the Supreme Court takes it up. Would would the council be the one uh, representing the 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 case at the Supreme Court? You know, or- I haven't thought about that. I think that could be something that uh, that the legislators can fill in. Uh, yeah, it's certainly a solvable problem. Just yeah, yeah. just piqued my curiosity. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. State. I think it would be right. I think it would be the executive branch versus the yeah versus the legislative branch. Uh, the executive branch versus the legislative branch arguing it out in the judicial branch. So quite a so quite a crossover. A crossover governmental Thunderdome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so man, I complain about all these agencies here. I almost want to read this whole thing. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm talking about you know. Uh, uh, examples of agencies, the SEC, the EPA, the FDA, the FCC, the FTC, the IRS, the CDC, and OSHA. This is but a sampling of agencies embroiled in some recent controversy. Uh, books and volumes could be assembled documenting the abuse of power and appearance thereof within these organizations. It's not to say their officers or employees are somehow corrupt or unaccountable, but their accountability is not properly weighted toward the people they are supposed to serve. Um, okay, so and accountability then I, and incentives. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we talked about this before. I talk a lot about the intelligence agencies. Um, you know, um, you know. They uh, and what's equally alarming is that these agencies systematically censor speech through intermediate platforms by claiming concern over misinformation and foreign propaganda. Big problem uh, these days, and there there are issues going through the court right now about this. So, okay, the the administrative state clause is with either a supermajority. Or a simple majority that includes the president. The council may alter or nullify any administrative policy originating in the executive branch. They may also remove administrative officers and employees who make policy. This does not remove any powers previously held by the president to act unilaterally in cases of policy and removal. So, in other words, the president can do some of this already, but the president's hands are tied uh, in a lot of these cases. So this is so. It's like, okay, great. Do we want to untie the president's hand and just allow the uh, the president to muck one on one directly with any aspect of the executive branch? Well, that seems a little bit too much for one person uh, to to handle. So, uh, so if we if we want to if we want to get control over this, probably having this um, you know th- uh, this elected board is, uh, is it seems like the best way to go. Right. Uh, so, that, so yeah. like, uh, for example, and, and I might be mixing up a little bit of the details here, but I think uh, like the director of the FBI is a position which is is yeah. nominated and uh, by the president and approved by the Senate under the current system. Yeah, like most uh, of them. However, uh, it's like a 10 year appointment. And so they don't just serve at the pleasure of the president um, that technically maybe the president could come to the director of the FBI and say, I'd like your resignation. Please step down. Uh, but that raises a lot of red flags and is very poorly viewed. Um, and, and, and I think there was a lot of talk about yeah. that. Uh, well, didn't with, uh, with Trump didn't, didn't he, what was it? Uh, Comey? Yeah. 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 I, I don't. So 
he but, could but probably in this, remove in this them. scenario, uh, yeah. if you have a majority of the council that believes uh, this director uh, of of whatever agency uh, is not acting in the best interest of the nation, uh, they they're overstepping bounds or they're not carrying out the things that we've we've requested of them. Uh, it, it no longer makes it a you know a uh, the president weaponizing his power for personal reasons. It's the the executive council is joining together in this decision. Uh, and and moving for a replacement, so that's that's right. a little bit uh, less suspect. Uh, more checks and balances involved, and that's a, that's a good example. Even if a president could remove some of these, uh, they might choose to go to the council and do it anyway uh, because it just it's it's so much more politically palatable uh, to to do so. So yeah. S- similarly, um, if the president has gone rogue and is instructing. Like the IRS, uh, you know, if, if, if Trump set, tells the IRS, I want you to pull uh, all of Hunter Biden's financial records uh, and and do a thorough investigation because uh, I have a personal issue with him, um, that the council could step in and say, uh, no, ignore that order. Uh, you you do not follow that direction. Uh, and with a with a supermajority, they could counter a executive directive on that. Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. It all fits together. Um, for those of you who are interested in this stuff, definitely check this out. It's on localmaxradio.com slash labs. You can see the paper toward a new great compromise. Um, it's, I also posted it on ResearchGate, so I'm, I'm excited to, to have this out. Um, and it's hard to get people to really think about the whole thing. People often read a little bit and they have their opinion right away as to why it's unworkable. Oh, this is I understand, you know, I'm not going to over. Uh, throw the whole U.S. government. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm like, glad you clarified that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, yeah I'm just, I, I'm just suggesting a change that um, I, I, I think would work. I also think it's a good thing to go through where it's like, if you want to understand the government, if you want to understand how the the Constitution formed, it's like, well, give it a shot yourself. Uh, and that's sort of what I did. If you want to understand what decisions people were facing uh, when they were at the Constitutional Convention, give it a shot yourself. So that's what I did. And so I like how this fits together currently. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of challenges uh, and uh, and ideas going forward. We have so much more to talk about on this, but I think we're going to end for today. So uh, any last thoughts? And uh, and uh, and th- then we'll sign off. No, it's just this, this has been a fascinating thing to to watch take form, and I'm I'm eager to hear uh, any feedback from from our listeners on the the latest iteration. Awesome, awesome, and I'm going to send this out to a bunch of people I know, in, including some uh, you know some constitutional scholars, and uh, and and we'll see what kind of kind of uh, feedback that I get from that. All right. Uh, remember to check out the locals, maximum.locals.com. Always looking for new members uh, there to support the show. Also, you know. Yeah, share the show on on social media. I I know that um, I I've been a little behind on guests recently. I'm, I I feel like I'm on the verge of reinvigorating this show, and I'm very excited about it. So please give us a five star review. Please uh, please share on on social media. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, maximum.locals.com uh, and localmaxradio at gmail.com. Send us an email to reach out. All right, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. 
Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.